how can I engineer a solution that ultimately solves the customer frustration at the same time creates an opportunity for the retailer. There was a server rack at the time. It was literally in an old bathroom with a portable air conditioner. It's about having an ecosystem and a framework where you've got that single view of customer. You've got that single view of inventory. Welcome to Add to Cart, Australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail. Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Add to Carters. My guest today is a digital veteran, I think I can say that without insulting him, who started at one of Australia's most renowned fashion retailers back when they kept their servers in an old bathroom. Those were their days, hey? A little tinker while you tinker? Shane Lenton is the co-founder and the CEO of The Wishlist, and he has spent the last 14 years growing the digital capabilities at Q Clothing. His new venture is offering to solve a problem of clogged camera rolls everywhere. The wishlist allows shoppers to save product items for review and purchase later, online or in-store. Shane, as you'll hear today, is all about Omnichannel. It gives retailers the ability to capture customers' details and preferences and automatically generate personalized marketing campaigns that build engagement and drive sales. Shane has a passion for customer service and a brain for tech, and this combination has found its natural outlet with the wish list. It is already embraced by retailers such as Kip & Co, Mr. Poolman, and Inku. We hear today how Shane's idea gained real legs when his wife lost out on the perfect pair of boots. He also shares his thoughts on the key components of a great omnichannel experience and how he started problem-solving at an early age with a rope, a pulley, and the family pet. It's not as sinister as it sounds. All right. Thanks to our partners, Shopify Plus and Paclio, here's our conversation with Shane Lenton, co-founder and CEO of The Wishlist Company. Shane, welcome to Add to Cart. Very good to be here. It was obviously a false start uh, a few weeks ago, so apologies about that. But yeah, appreciate, mate, you uh, having me on the show. It's more of a story to tell now, so very exciting. We caught at online retail, what was that, October last year? Yeah, yeah, it was around then, yeah. That was your first official launch into market, I understand? That was really us stepping out. We've been working on the platform for a little bit, a while, and uh, that was sort of us announcing to the market that we're here. But in the next month or so, we're looking to sort of probably do something more formal. Yeah, great. In that time, the big announcement was that you have finished up at Q after 14 years. How did that feel? When I spoke to the owners at Q early December and we sort of came to that decision, it was uh, probably at, at the start, it was something that I knew was coming and you know, obviously I wanted to step out and really focus on the wish list. And for them as a business, it was the time really where after four years of consulting a few days a week where for them it was time to sort of get someone in from a CRO perspective full time. So, yeah, look, that was a great discussion. And I think from that moment, just probably, I think it was easier the fact that it was a mutual decision. 
so I didn't feel like I was leaving them. They came to a point where they needed to put someone on full-time and felt they needed to do that. And to be honest, that probably made it a lot easier than having that conversation three or four months or, or five months down the track as we're launching Wishlist for me to focus on that. But, yeah, look, I, I leave uh, Q in, I think, really good hands. We've worked very hard for a long period of time to really build the teams. And that allowed me to, uh, four years ago, to sort of step out and focusing on consulting with other retailers in addition to Q and, yeah, have some amazing, you know, from an IT point of view and particularly from a digital point of view, have an incredible team and a, a great leader in Lauren there. What are you most proud of in your 14 years at Q? Look, I think um, probably, you know, having someone like, you know, Lauren come into business as, uh, I suppose, first job out of uni, coming in and, and uh uh, developing within the team and, and various different managers that she's working with and ultimately reporting into myself. I think growing Lauren and the team from scratch. So certainly sort of very proud of, and then you've got her and, you know, she's just about to finish her MBA and, and take on the world. So, and similarly from an IT perspective, Peter was quite junior when he came on board. I think that was maybe seven or eight years ago. And again, just, um, yeah, really working with the, junior teams and, and growing them. And then I think, you know, Q is an iconic Australian retailer, you know, has always had such a good brand. And when I started there, from a technology perspective, it was pretty much a bit of a greenfield. They had a room of, I mean, for those IT nerds out there that have been around for a little while, they had green screen from a POS point of view and they had a room full of dial-up modems that each night would just, and I mean literally for those that, you know, when the internet used to be, modems that you just hear this beep, 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 each night and when you knew there was a big problem it's when those not physically fell over but when that solution fell over and uh, and they hadn't synced or, or polled that night it meant that the sales data and any price changes hadn't been pushed out so you know, taking the business from there the the it well there was a server rack at the time it was literally in an old bathroom with a portable air conditioner <laughs> um, and to, to taking that from where we did all the way through to building a great team and um, and I suppose what you know they're now considered as being a leader in the omnichannel space and you know the offerings and that sort of seamless online and offline experience and taking a lot of the digital into store where it makes sense and there's heaps so many firsts when we're there and a lot of them I mean the vast majority if not all were, were really driven from changing consumer behavior and uh, there was an opportunity there through partnerships to you know bring whether it was afterpay physically into store or you know most recently one hour delivery from all stores around the country with uber and ship it it's just been a you know a great journey and an amazing platform Phew, I bet you're breathing a sigh of relief now that Black Friday is over for another year, right? Well, according to our friends at Shopify, customers, they haven't stopped looking for bargains and they are going to keep chasing them all the way through 2023 as the cost of living takes its toll. Yes, that old chestnut. But Shopify have surveyed 2,000 Australian customers and they found that three in four Australians are already reducing their discretionary spending and 84% of customers are comparing prices. With price and value such a hot point for customers, 
it is worth considering how you are going to continually send price messages throughout 2023 to keep your customers interested. The battle for the wallet is going to be fierce. To view more resources to help with your 2023 planning and see how Shopify can take your e-commerce business to the next level, visit shopify.com forward slash au today. It feels like Q were in the headlines almost like monthly. From it, you'd open up inside retail every month and there'd be a new thing that Q are doing, which is fantastic and it shows how much you drove forward there. And we're going to talk about wishlist because I think it's really fascinating what you're building there. But before we do, you are really well known in the industry for talking and driving omnichannel experiences. And I think, you know, one of the first to really push this hard when no one was really talking about it when it was kind of called multi-channel and no one really knew where it fit and it's always been your story and your narrative what's your definition of a great omni-channel experience in 23 i think i'll probably even go back a little bit further from that even just looking at it from a technical perspective look i think it's hard to fake and i think trying to put band-aid solutions and, and things like that or try and put forward an, an initiative without having the foundations in place, ultimately makes things, it's very hard to provide a great experience and, and very hard from team members potentially in store. And if you provide a bad experience for a customer, it's very hard to win them back. So look, I think for me, I always start with the foundations. So whether that's, there's many different names for it these days, but whether it's a retail management system, ERP, point of sale, unified commerce, whatever you want to call it, I think having a good core is critically important. Obviously, now there's a lot more conversation around microservices architecture and things like that, which I'm a massive believer in. But regardless, it's about having an ecosystem and a framework where you've got that single view of customer. You've got that single view of inventory, meaning that each of the touch points across the business, whether that's customer care and someone interacting with customer care, whether that's online, whether that's at any store, the ability for, if a customer is a known customer, the ability for the team member or that customer to have a seamless experience due to the fact that, you know, I have identified myself, I'm on a different touch point now, and that same level of information is available for me, both for the retailer to provide a curated experience, but also me from a consumer perspective to be able to check out without having to enter a new payment method every time. We'll talk about pain points, so I won't, uh, won't take too much away from that conversation in a few minutes. But um, so for me, it's a good omni-channel experience. It's really experience for, it's great for the consumer, creates an opportunity for the retailer that is seamless. It's, it's all those things like contextual commerce. So if I'm browsing, if I'm on social media, if I'm you know on the website or if I ring customer care and say, hey, I'm looking for this size 10 shoe, it's the ability for them to transact in the moment rather than point me in the direction of a store and then have to ring the store and that store not be able to deliver it to me and all those sorts of things. So I think the foundations is, you know, the single view of customer, the single view of inventory so that not only can I engage with the brand but I can transact in the moment and then that philosophy of buy anywhere, fill anywhere. So if I'm in a particular store and, and the right size or colour is not available, I shouldn't have to leave and jump on the website. I shouldn't have to wait for you to transfer that product in. I should be able to transact there and then. You should know where the product is and then order orchestration should kick in 
And chances are, if it's a store within a 10K radius that's of where I live, that item should be delivered before I get home, or at least give me the opportunity to have that done. But critically important is having the foundations and the platforms in place, talking in real time, and then ultimately being able to execute on it. As a CIO, you talk a lot about customer. Have you always been that way? Yeah, 100%. So for me, from getting into technology as a starting point, technology for me was always a conduit into business. It wasn't necessarily an out-and-out passion for technology. It was how can I have an impact on business? And ultimately, to do that, how can I drive an amazing customer experience? So, and how can I make things easier? I mean, it's from when I was a kid, you know, when it was my my job to feed the dogs who had a two-story house and why should I have to go down go down the stairs and around the back? Why can't I just, the kitchen was close to the balcony. So, you know, as a seven or eight-year-old, I had a little rope system with the dog food, with the bowl, punched some holes in the sides and had a little three-way sort of rope system happening. But it's just like, how can I make things easier and, and streamline and, and more efficient? And I mean, I've been in tech for 20 years, but for me, the opportunity to get into retail, it wasn't a natural thing. I started in finance tech for the first 10, but that opportunity to get in retail was something really tangible. We're all consumers, so it was really relatable for me. So then getting into retail and, and having that technology background, my question was always, why not? When I could see friction or I could see pain points or I could see missed opportunities, it was like, okay, how can I engineer a solution that ultimately solves the customer frustration at the same time creates an opportunity for the retailer and that's really sort of been my philosophy and then you break that down and, and you know, all those things I talked about you know the real-time visibility the the ease of payments and friction and delivery options and all those things just form part of the puzzle interestingly I was asked the other day by someone they said you know do, does one hour delivery does the consumers really need it and I said well they don't always need it and they won't always use it, but there are times when they do need it. And by offering everything from free and slow to pay a little bit in between and then pay a premium to get something really quick, that means that as a consumer, that particular retailer, if I want their product in all different situations, they become a retailer of choice. So, uh, so yeah. I love what you said there around retail, coming from a finance background, going over to retail, because everyone themselves is a consumer. So when people ask that question, do consumers really need one-hour delivery, you kind of think of your own behavior and you go, yeah, most of the time, no. But I do remember a couple of times where that will sway my decision. So I love the way you frame that. You also mentioned in there, you kind of threw them away, single view of customer, single view of inventory, getting them right. They sound so easy when they roll off the tongue. Which of the two is easier? Depends on the organisation. And I really say this because if we talk about single view of inventory, there's, there's a few layers to it. So the first one is having the technology. And, and to be honest, most platforms, the technology is there, but most retailers don't necessarily have the discipline or have invested in the tech to or the people to do stock takes or cycle counts. And obviously RFID is becoming a big thing now because it's, bit more affordable but when you look at single view of inventory and the rules of or the right to play as i put it that accuracy of inventory is critically important because you can have the single view of inventory but if you can't trust it 
you can't utilize it. So, and no matter how much tech you want to throw at it, the people and process are as much a part of the, that single view of inventory. And a lot of retailers, you know, often I think get caught up and, and I can say this being a consultant, I'll say former consultant, but I'll still, over here, so I'll, I'll still, still do a little bit more from here time to time. But a lot of consultants love to sell tech. But from my perspective, most of the platforms can handle or, or facilitate handling very accurate inventory, but the retailer needs the right process and policies in place. They need buy-in from the teams. They need the right framework. And there's no shortcuts there. Yes, some of the tech can make it a little bit easier, but you've still got to do that, an element of heavy lifting, and you've still got to get that right. And no amount of technology thrown at it is going to solve everything. So I think that one's, on one hand, is, is a little bit harder because you've got a people element. But then the flip side, I think there's a harder technical element on the single view of customer. And I say that because across the board for a multi-channel retailer, a lot of the legacy, a lot of the POS platforms out there have, have, you know, a lot of cases have been around for a while and they do a really, really good job in store. And they've obviously had to evolve and have a, a suite of APIs that don't always do everything, but they do a reasonable amount of stuff. But there's still a massive gap between the vast majority of them in their ability to interact and get that offline data into the marketing automation platforms. And it's something that, you know, for me, I've been really passionate about. I've, you know, across all the platforms I've worked with, you know, over the last 14 years, in a lot of cases, we've done things without even the partner realizing we're doing them. And then we've had a conversation and it's been great for them. They've been able to commercialize something that we just needed a little bit of a tweak on. But yeah, I think for a lot of retailers, they're really struggling to get that single view of customer because they don't have a way to get the data from POS for the offline transactions of customers into those marketing automation platforms. I also, there'll be purists out there from a CDP perspective and otherwise, and I'll say this guy is single view of customer. It's just a very basic level. But for me, it's base online and offline, but it still leaps and bounds ahead of where the average is. And then, of course, once you've got that done, you can you know, get a little bit more sophisticated with some intelligent, really intelligent CDPs and all the rest. But again, the most retailers have the team to drive the Ferrari. In a lot of cases, they don't. So getting the foundations right and at least being able to identify someone who shops with your online, offline, everything from a you know post-purchase campaign or a lapsed customer, it's so powerful to have that, that online and offline data there. And if you think about it, at the moment, I think we're tracking 16% of total business for multi-channel retailers on average in Australia is uh, is online. Yeah, it's, it's double or a bit over double what it was pre-COVID. It's obviously um, it's obviously steady now, but there's still for so many retailers, there's 84% plus of their total business that their marketing automation or you know other platforms are flying blind on. So it's still a massive opportunity. And it's something that through what we're doing with the wish list, we're playing a role there. Yeah. So you've mentioned some of the challenges and opportunities that you've come across with Australian retailers in your consulting. What is the problem that you are solving that you've chosen to narrow in on with the wish list? Fundamentally, again, as I mentioned before, like there's some lots of consumer frustration that we can solve. And then ultimately, how can we provide a, an opportunity for the retailer with that? So if you think about as a consumer, I visit a store, I spend time in that store, I'm browsing, I'm not quite ready to buy. Consumer behaviour is I'll generally take 
a ton of photos. If you look at people who've recently visited stores, the camera rolls just full of photos, which is usually if it's fashion, it's a it's a garment and a swing tag, if it's shoes, it's it's shoes and it's price, if it's a TV, if it's a printer. That is the current sort of benchmark. Oh, I shared Google Photo Drive with my family. I know all about this. So there you go. So that's what the consumer is currently doing in store. From an online perspective, they're adding items to a wish list outside of the iconic Amazon, Temple and Webstar and a few others, particularly businesses with decent size tech teams within the organisation who have built a lot of this stuff themselves. Some of those organisations, the opportunity that they see in automation of wish list is mind-blowing. Like we're talking, the numbers are just crazy, crazy good. So there's an opportunity there for retailers. Most have a wish list. Most from a wish list capability on site are pretty limited. But then you've got this amazing market automation platform that they're paying, to, paying for in a lot of cases that can do a little bit but doesn't necessarily have the right data. And then this issue in store where, you know, visitors to the store are taking these photos, they're not ready to buy. So for us, we said, okay, so how can we, what's the current consumer behavior? And that's that bit in store. Or they add things to a dead end from a wish list online. And then we thought, okay, that's one piece. And I had, when I'd started thinking about wish list and what we could do, it really sort of rang home a few years ago. My wife was looking at a pair of boots from Dion Lee. So they're one of the brands that are sort of part of under the Q umbrella. She'd been looking at these boots. It was towards the end of summer. Anyone who knows Dion Lee will know that uh, even with staff discount, they're still a pretty expensive item. And she made the mistake of coming to me for, I suppose, a bit of a bit of sounding board. Should I buy them? Should I not? And I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. You really need to make the choice. So that was her first mistake. Cash in some of those shares to buy them. Yeah, exactly. And then, like with the crazy weather that we're having now, what is it today, mid-30s in in mid-March down here in Sydney. This was in August and uh, it had been a little bit warm, so she sort of was like, uh. she made a decision at that point not to buy them, but she was still thinking about it. It got cold a couple of weeks later and she's like, you know what, I'm just going to go buy them. She jumped on. Her size had sold out. They're now on sale and they were cheaper than they were through staff discount. And next thing she asked me, even though there was a fine install feature on the, on the side, but she, and that she couldn't find them. And then I had to ring around trying to find the boots. And unfortunately, I couldn't find them. Even samples and all the rest couldn't find them. So I thought to myself, I've been thinking a little bit about wish list and talking to her about it. She just said, God, if you had that wish list working, I wouldn't have missed out on those boots. I would have bought them if I'd known they'd just about sold out. Even better if they went on sale. So I went, okay, yeah, that's someone who, uh, you know, like with my daughter's shops for sport or as a sport, although they play a lot of other sports, <laughs> that's a, a really committed shopper who spends a lot of time researching and, and all that sort of thing. So I thought, okay, yeah. So from a customer's perspective, I'm going into a store. Have I got a wish list app on my phone? Is that how we're working? Yeah, so not at all. So we've been very focused on giving the retailer the tools and, and the levers down the track who knows sort of how these things things go but we're very focused on so we either like in a shopify world we all the wish list elements on the site so all the buttons and icons and things like that and we drive the experience 
for retailers that are on other platforms or headless or otherwise, we've got a great suite of uh, REST APIs. So realistically, we sit in behind. So we, from an online perspective, that wishlist data, we're the source of truth. And then from an in-store piece, we either are a button in POS to launch our platform and we talk to the retailer's source of truth of customer. So whether that be the POS platform, the ERP, wherever that sits, we're reading and writing. So if someone doesn't currently, if they're not currently a, a member of that retailer's you know, database or loyalty program, as part of that wishlist creation at store, if they're a new customer, they're getting signed up. And so we sit, yeah, either button in POS or a shortcut on the POS computer, or we could be on any device that has an internet connection for that matter. And we've also built the capability that you'll be rolling out in the not too distant future. And that is, it's working today. And that is, you can put a QR code on a swing tag of a product, scan that, it'll take you, it picks up obviously the variant level, size and color, takes you to PDP with those options already selected. And then it's just a click to add. If they're a new customer, they sign up in that process. If, if they're returning, it's most people with with their phones, it's Face ID and it's done. So we live within the retailer's ecosystem, their website. If the retailer has an app, we're on that app. Uh, we get there, but it's not wish this branded. This is, this is a platform for retailers. And we've been very, very committed to that because for us, we see we can drive so much value for the retailer and at the same time, drive a great outcome for the customer. You've refreshed your website, the new range is about to drop, you've never had more customer service options. Hey, but take a look over there at that boring pile of packaging boxes. Ugh, ugly. Time to give that some love. Luckily, Packlio is here to bring some joy to your customer's delivery and unboxing experience. It's been ignored for way too long. With vibrant colors, cool designs, and eco-friendly credentials, there are no more excuses for boring boxes. Even better, Paclio is Australian-owned and operated with same-day dispatch and 14-day returns. There's nothing boring about that. Check out the Paclio range of e-commerce packaging options at paclio.com. That's Paclio, P-A-C-K-L-E-O, paclio.com. So if a customer adds something to their wish list, they go to the PDP, say, yep, save this to my wish list, what kind of communication should they expect around that product? Yeah, so, I mean, from an online point of view, the retailer has the option of communicating with that customer when items have been added. So from the first ad, they can put a delay in and say, you know, I don't want to notify that customer for 60 minutes because they might add more products. But when you're serving, I suppose, serving yourself online, a lot of cases, it's unnecessary to send a communication to the customer about recently added items. However, when you're in store, it's critically important because what we're trying to avoid is the need for the customer to take photos. So when they're working with a team member in store and they're not quite ready to buy, the team member says, no problem, let me add those items to the wish list for you. Customer sort of says, what's that? And they say, well, this platform, sorry, the wish list will we'll send you an email post your visit today. So we've got a nice email, which which is always which is personalized. So it'll have the staff name, the store name, the retailer has full control over that communication, the design of, of their template and so forth. So that's the initial. And, and a lot of times that's the first experience for a new customer with that retail. It's hyper-personalized. And then from there, the retailer has the opportunity to send reminders at regular intervals. 
but most importantly, it's it's notifying the customer of the life cycle of that product. So if the product's low in stock, or if it happens to sell out, notifying the customer when it's back in stock. Those two, the thresholds with that, obviously, are critically important, but also different per retailer. So we allow the retailer to specify what is low in stock and what is back in stock. And then, obviously, on sale. It's from a customer's point of view, they're most likely going to receive an email saying, hey, this retailer has 15% off or we've just done a round of of markdowns or mid-season sale. But at the moment, there's that frustration that they're getting a blast and a blanket email and they're having to go and look, is their product on sale? Is it not on sale? So it's a real relationship between the retailer, the customer and that product and recommendation engines, machine learning and AI really are incredible and really, really powerful. But talk about hyper-personalization. I mean, if you've told a retailer you're interested in the product either by adding to a wish list or in store, what better value exchange than, than getting the information you want? And I suppose probably something I haven't touched on yet is is that customer acquisition piece, particularly at, um, at store level. So if we look at, again, some benchmark data and we say, okay, on average... 80% of visitors to the store don't purchase. They come in, they spend time either in high-touch retail with, with a salesperson in store or a stylist, even low-touch, they're hovering. They leave store, as I say, they may have taken some photos. There's generally never an opportunity for the retailer to sign that customer up. A really, really good salesperson will take note and have a little black book, but there you you know, they're your one in 10,000 that are doing that and doing that well. And even so, it's they don't necessarily have the ability to understand stock levels and all that and find that information. It's it's not automated, right? So that opportunity for a retailer now to say, no problem, I'm not ready to buy and leave that as a really good experience and a connected experience is really powerful. And a lot of retailers, their KPIs will be, you know, if we can attach... 50, 60, 70, amazing, 70% of customers to a transaction in store. Um, in a lot of cases, that's we're talking about 20% of people that might buy. It's that 80% of visitors that have left and you haven't had any opportunity. Now, if you can convert 10, 15, 20% of them to become a customer and start a conversation with them around products they're interested in, it's a profoundly different sort of experience and the growth and the cost of acquisition from a retailer's perspective, they've already got the team member in store. There's some costs, they've already got the, they're already paying rent. Cost of acquisition via performance marketing through the roof. I'm, I'm just constantly hearing at the moment of digital marketing budgets, particularly around performance being slashed. Most retailers are spending fairly decent dollars on their marketing automation. And again, there's so many of them that don't have that offline data and that other sort of 80 plus percent of transactions to be able to market to. So I think we're really sitting in a great spot to have a big impact. And, you know, our modeling shows that, you know, we're quite cost effective. And, you know, if we can be less than 1% cost to sale, not that we do sort of rev share models, but I mean, never say no to anything, but I'm not a big believer in them for the retail. I'd rather give them a really good tool that they can take to, to infinity. But, um, yeah, so I think that sort of that customer acquisition piece is, is really, really powerful for us. And I think for a retailer, obviously a multi-touch, multi-step welcome campaign is critically important to build that engagement and, and, and set the foundations and educate the, the new 
consumer or customer on, on their brand. But and that's amazing. But the amount of sort of segmentation, the challenge around that and, and retailers still knowing it and getting results off sending blast email out to customers, that churn churn rate's starting to increase. So for us, having that real personalized communication with the customer and also importantly is whilst retailers can send that from our platform we trigger all the events but again my the purest in me is a as i suppose a cio or a digital marker is i want all that comms to go out of my marketing automation platform so for us we've got integrations with clavio and and amasis um currently we we're not too far off with dot digital and, and Salesforce and everything in between. So we think we play really well in that ecosystem. Great stuff. And and you hinted at the commercial model before, but for retailers considering what is the wish list commercial model? Yeah, so a baseline. So um, from a Shopify perspective, we're eighty nine dollars from a per month from a Shopify point of view. And with that the retailers getting all of those existing integrations with marketing automation. Otherwise, the ability to have multiple wish lists for a customer, we're not holding back any of those features. There is a ceiling on um, how many wish lists you can have, but most retailers sort of won't touch that. And then further to that, when we then go into multi-channel retail, it's based on a combination of, of store number, catalog size, and database. But again, we... Um, and at that, it's, it's, it's like a case-by-case basis based on some modelling we do with the retailer. But we are the results that the likes of Q and, and the others that we're starting to bring on board now will see will make us, you know, from a return and investment perspective, really, really interesting. Awesome. And obviously, Q are a great testbed and early, early client of Wishlist. Who else are you working with? So we've got a, a raft of retailers that are literally turning on in March. So we've got the team from Shona Joy, which is incredible, amazing business. Inku, which one of my favourite retailers. Mr. Poolman, which again, just knocking down the park in, park in their category. Kip & Co, doing really cool stuff. Who is Elijah, which is again, just, uh, yeah, Really excited to work with the team there. Board Collective, which is a, a surf, skate, and apparel business. Currently looking to also onboard St. Frock. We're doing solution design at the moment for Freedom Furniture. And we've got uh, quite a few others that we're hoping to sort of close out and sign up in the next few weeks. Amazing. If you had one wish list for the ideal client that you haven't got on yet, who would it be? Put them on the spot, make them uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I think across the board, we can obviously do, I mean, what we've demonstrated for Q, that apparel fashion is a real sweet spot for us. Obviously, we'd love to have the brands, you know, Camilla and Mark and Age and Zimmerman and brands like that on board. And yeah, so we'll sort of have some conversations and see where we go. But, um, and then beyond that, obviously, footwear and apparel and that category is really exciting for us as well but it's limitless with you know there's furniture we're, we're obviously with freedom which is you know an amazing business and even you know tools and other things so we're, we're quite broad in who we're having conversations with and the exciting thing is we're literally going from you know a single shopify store pure play retailer all the way up to freedom furniture and, and there's a, quite a few other large and some overseas department stores and and different things that we're in conversations with at the moment so 
it's going to be a really busy year, but it's going to be exciting. And there's just the conversations we're having are incredible. And I think the appetite for a lot of the a lot of the Aussie retailers to really jump on board with us and, and this work with us to co-design as well, which I know from being on that retail side, working with some of the partners that, that I have in my Q days and my consulting days to actually move the dial and do some really cool stuff. So I can't talk too much yet, but yeah, aside from the incredible brands we're, we're bringing on board, we're also, there's some, you know, really cool features that we're bringing, just things like bringing recommendations into store. So we've got some Amasis customers and we've done that for Q and we're now in conversations with some others to bring in those AI recommendations to provide that consistency for the team in store that the consumers are getting through email and on site. We talk about a single view of customer. It's great to look at it at a transaction line, but it's so much more powerful for the team in store when they're wardrobe in and they might have an appointment coming up and being able to look visually at the product images and look at. So that's another thing that we're doing, providing that sort of not only that single view of, um, of transactions and customers, but also bringing that to life with image-rich transactions so that the team member in store can look at that history and black dress with a name, you know, peplum, Black dress means this much, but when you can have a look at the actual style itself and or particularly product with patterns and, and all the rest of it. So there's that piece. And the other big one that we're adding as well is two-way MMS and SMS. We've had the request from customers and, uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, there's the idea with the wish list that the in-store piece, a lot of it's driven from a customer that's in store, but some of the really cool brands we're working with that have really engaged teams and, and great VIPs, it's the ability for the team to start recommending and sending products. I mean, they're doing this anyway on WhatsApp and, and MMS and SMS without any real rails or, or sort of governance around it. So again, it's just a logical step for us. We're a button in pause and yeah, we're, we're just uh, following I suppose uh, if when we speak to the retailers, if there's things that really make sense and that we think we can sort of commercialise, yeah, we're jumping on board. And given where our conversation started around the breadth of opportunity around omnichannel and some of the things that you've mentioned there, it feels like going in with Wishlist, the current version of Wishlist is like a sliver of what is possible. When you mention things like, yep, you know, single customer view, automated marketing, two-way SMS. How do you decide what you go after and start incorporating as a built-in feature versus what you go, actually, there's really good two-way SMS platforms out there. Why don't we just integrate with them rather than incorporating it? Well, that's a perfect example. So we're integrating. It'll be our interface that we're integrating. And we're... So, and, and I've always been a massive believer in partnership and, and don't build it where it doesn't make sense and plug in best of breed. But then for me, it's about having that single interface. It can't be underestimated, the employee experience and getting that right and, and the impact that has on the customer experience. So, yeah, so to your point, it's like marketing automation. We're, we're, we're generating events and we're providing that source of truth from a wish list point of view, but we're not trying to... We're not trying to be a marketing automation platform. We've got the integrations. A lot of it, some of it we pass in wishlist data. Others, we generate the events. But there will only be a small amount of retailers that actually send email from our platform. We do have, again, we haven't built it. We've white-labeled something just as an email sending 
solution for retailers that may either not have email marketing at all or they might have something that's obscure or really basic so that we can drive purely those wish list sort of events. But, yeah, but we're massive on, on that partner ecosystem. And, yeah, for me, I don't want to build something that I'd rather partner with someone and, and then together we can be better. Yeah, great stuff. I love that philosophy. It's coming through actually in a few of our chats at the moment, which is really nice to see around the Australian e-commerce ecosystem all working together, which is fantastic. Shane, if we've got retailers listening to this and they're really interested and they want to get in touch to learn more about what you're doing at the wish list, what's the best way for them to get in touch? So the easiest way is just to shoot me an email at Shane, S-H-A-N-E, at thewishlist.io or via our website, they can book a demo or request a demo, which is thewishlist.io, or of course, um, hit me up on LinkedIn. Beautiful. Well, mate, I hope that when I see you again, probably going to be at online retail, I think we're going to have a lot more to discuss. So uh, thank you for joining us on Add to Cart. Really appreciate it, Nathan. Cheers. Now, when it comes to omni-channel retail in Australia, you are going to be hard-pressed to find anyone more experienced than Shane, as you heard in that conversation. So it was really brilliant to dive into his view of the omnichannel world today and his vision for Wishlist. Here are the three big takeaways for me. Number one, omnichannel, but a focused solution. As we heard from Shane, the world of omnichannel expands so far across the customer journey from discovery all the way through to delivery. And if I'm honest, I've never seen anyone get it all right. What I love about Shane's approach with Wishlist is that it doesn't try and solve everything. It starts with a very humble omnichannel problem, the Wishlist. I have no doubt that the solution will evolve from there, but by solving omnichannel problems, you need to be really clear about solving specific problems rather than trying to solve everything. And I think Shane set this up really well at the start. Number two, single view foundations. Shane's view of the foundations of Omnichannel were getting two single views right. One, a single view of customer, and two, a single view of inventory. By getting both of these single views right, it enables the customer to accurately find, buy, and experience anywhere and at any time. Obviously, though, these are big and sometimes complicated data pieces to get right. But if you are going to attack it, My recommendation is to approach it not as a data or tech problem, but start with the desired customer outcome and the internal processes to deliver that, the data and the tech will fall out of it. And number three, team shout-outs. I love when our guests give their team members a shout-out. Shane called out Lauren in the Q Clothing team about her progression and her achievements as one of the things that he is most proud of in his 14 years. I think it's really important to publicly and specifically give shout-outs to your team who make the magic happen. And on that note, a massive thanks to Addicart's producer extraordinaire, Amy, and our podcast editor, Gilberto, aka The Podcast Boss. You guys are the best. To get the highlights of today's episode, head on over to addicart.com.au and sign up for our free newsletter. Each Tuesday, we will send Monday's episode summary, links, and discount codes for you to go next level on. And if you're looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, 
come and visit us at eSuite. We're a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands in Australia. Head on over to eSuiteTalent.com.au where you can download the free e-commerce salary guide and sign up to our weekly e-commerce job emails. Thanks for listening. And until next time, keep those customers adding to cart.